Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Teo Podcast, the Pandemic Press. Today we are going to have to talk about burnout with a special guest, Dr. Brian Haas. He nicely and simply breaks it down in a way that uh, the audience can actually retain information on. And it's quite easy the way he tries to explain it and it feels so logical. And that's why it's an, it's a pleasure to have him here on the podcast. Burnout is, as you all know, a psychological condition that is characterized by emo- emotional exhaustion, feelings of cynicism and reduced personal accomplishment. So in the past years there has been um a study in which uh, researchers have claimed is there a correlation between burnout or an overlap between burnout and depression or burnout and anxiety and they come to a disagreement as they are very different constructs as they appears to share um Common features. These common features include loss of interest and impaired concentration. So you lose motivation and you lose focus. And however, these results are inconclusive. And researchers have come to a conclusion that they have to disagree, that they are all the same. The aim of the systematic review was to find if there was a relationship. And as they found out, there wasn't. There is no overlap. But burnout can give rise to anxiety. Burnout can hinder um slight effects of being sad but not up to that extent I would say when you're considering a burnout but the two are completely different I'm Brian Haas I'm a hospitalist um, which is a physician that takes care of specialized patients in the hospital Um, I've been practicing um, hospital medicine since 2013 um, in and around Kansas City Missouri and uh, I've been a uh, associate program director. I've spoken extensively on the patient experience, emotional intelligence, burnout. Um, and it's kind of my area of expertise in trying to really help people, um, other physicians, in fact, that are struggling in regards to dealing with their social, emotional type of situation, because it's hard to be a physician. And it um, a lot of physicians do struggle. And unfortunately, it's 
it's perceived as a weakness if physicians seek out help. And it really is one of those things that we need to help each other. And so that's what I've really been um, passionate about over the course of the past several years. And I started my own um, coaching and consulting business called Haas Health. Um, and so I'm happy to try and help as many people as I can that, that are looking for help in, in regards to burnout, stress, and patient experience. So That's brilliant because uh, society has put a label on them that uh, they don't understand that uh, being a doctor is obviously a very st stressful career. And if you, get, if you get something wrong, like everybody's there to point the finger on you. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, and, and then there's, there's such stigma associated with a physician that that is having issues with either burnout or you know mental illness or depression or anxiety or whatever the case may be and then you have to report in many states you have to report that to the state licensing board and so it becomes very nerve-wracking for physicians because they're like I don't want to lose my livelihood or you know someone like myself I still have two hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan debt it's like if I don't have my job what do I do and how do I pay back that student loan debt? And how do I go through those processes? So I think it's very important that, that we have um, resources for people to be able to access them. So That's wonderful. Uh, so what is burnout and how it can affect anyone? Sure. So, so burnout actually has an ICD-11 code um, and it's actually classified not as a, a medical condition, but as an occupational phenomenon. So I think it's very distinct. We have to make sure that there's a distinct difference between clinical etiologies, such as like depression, anxiety, PTSD, right? And, and burnout on the other hand, okay? Um, and, and burnout is something that can affect literally anybody that works. And the foundation of this ICD-9 code and the definition by the WHO is really founded on um, Christina Maslock's work. And, um, but there's three dimensions um, of this. And so there are feelings of energy depletion and exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to your job, and then a reduced professional efficacy. So essentially someone that's feeling burned out is going to be, I'm going to feel tired all the time. I'm not going to want to go to work. Um, they're also going to have this, a lack of buy-in, a lack of energy, a lack of desire to try and make things better at work, or they're going to be like, Oh, you know, we tried this before and nothing ever works. Um, and there's varying degrees of this burnout. Right. And I look at it as a spectrum of, of process, right? So someone that's, has minor burnout or just starting to exhibit those signs of burnout may just feel tired all the time, but is still completing and doing all their tasks and doesn't have that feeling of reduced professional efficacy. And then you have someone who's like calling in sick to work all the time. They're too tired. They can't get out of their chair. They're now feeling like, you know, they're angry or they snap all the time or they're cynical. And I think that that's, um, that, that demonstrates the spectrum of, of burnout and how over time, if not treated, burnout can get substantially worse. So um, yeah, it can affect anybody that works and there's um, actually different surveys for different types of professions. Um, there is actually a specific one for health and healthcare workers, um, nursing and physicians. So, yeah. So what other professions uh, do you think uh, people be, can be affected by burnout? Well, I think any profession can be affected by burnout, but um, 
Maslach's work, um, and she's a professor at the University of Berkeley, um, and she did a lot of this, the initial study, getting um, the, the data for this. But um, I believe she has surveys on healthcare, um, government, educators. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones. Um, a, a general use, um, medical personnel. Yep. And social social services, government employees, and things of that nature. So, yeah. Is burnout associated with a person being cynical or critical about their personal or career choices, or both? Can both be affecting it at the same? Sure. Time? So, well, yeah. No, I'm mean, really good question because I think that it digs into a couple of different factors, right? So, the the first thing is is that that burnout, I think, can create the cynicism. So someone can initially go into their, their career and their future and be extremely excited about it, right? They can be highly motivated, energized. And then as things occur over the course of the beginning of the career, the middle of the career, the end of the career, the burnout can develop. And I think that people can go through waves of burnout. And so um, there was actually a, a really great study that Medscape came out with a couple of years ago, and, it, and they looked at trying to find the underlying causes of burnout. So they listed a couple of things. So too many bureaucratic tasks, spending too many hours at work, income dissatisfaction, increasing computerization of the practice. They feel like a cog in a wheel, too many difficult patients, lack of personal fulfillment, difficult colleagues or staff, compassion fatigue, or a difficult employer. And so these were some of the things that this survey in particular looked at. And bureaucratic tasks was far and away that the highest thing that would create burnout. And so I think when people, they go into medicine and they're excited because they want to educate and they want to heal and they want to help people to get better. And then they realize that, oh my gosh, 70% of my job is sitting in front of a computer or arguing with an insurance company or trying to get a prior authorization for the medication that I know is beneficial for this patient and not actually dealing with the patient care. And so I think that that's some of the things that can lead to a personal dissatisfaction with their job, those bureaucratic tasks, that's burning somebody out. And so that's when they start to become cynical or critical about their personal career choice. Now, COVID, I think, has actually had a substantial impact on this. So before COVID, there was um, pretty decent and reliable data to show that 50% of physicians were burned out at any given time, which is, in, in all honesty, is a startling and shocking number to begin with, right? I mean, literally one in two. <laughs> I mean, every other physician you go to is burned out or suffering from some aspect of burnout. But in September, there was a Medscape survey, um, and it showed that up to 80% of physicians have been burned out because of COVID. Um, if you go to other websites like the Lorna Breen Foundation, who I'm a big fan of because they're really trying to do a lot of great work um, here in the States in regards to that, but they show that 62% of physicians are burned out. But nonetheless, a, a significant increase of physician burnout has really been going on. And that's because of the compassion fatigue or extra hours at work, or then also placing themselves in harm's way. There was a, a study out of um, Wuhan, China, of course, the, the epicenter of the, the outbreak. And um, at 1.91% of nursing staff had commented that they were fearful of going to work. I mean, that's, 
that's burnout on the extreme, right? I mean, just fearful. So I think there's a lot that, that burnout plays in regards to, to the role um, of, of having cynicism, right? So, um, and no, of course, I think if someone comes into medicine already somewhat cynical, yeah, <laughs> these extra added stressors are only going to make things worse. Um, but I don't think that cynicism in, in and of itself is necessarily um, directly related to that. I think the burnout causes the cynicism. So what about perfectionism? Does it have a toll on our lives? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really good added point there, Rashni. So, so perfectionism absolutely um, affects people's ability to burn out. Um, so I had, a, I had a great mentor, Tom Mayer, really awesome guy. And, and he told me, you can't really burn out if you never were on fire in the first place. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so, so someone that, that has a high level of perfectionism, which is a, a vast majority of people in the medical community, right? I mean, you yeah. had to be top of your class in order to get into medical school. You have to be highly driven and have significant desires to want to improve. And so you're at high risk of burning out because you're that match that's on fire. You're motivated. You want to kind of you know, improve change. And so when, when they get into the job and they are overburdened by bureaucratic tasks or computer issues or difficulties, like, you know, I had a, I had a client tell me in order for me to do a history and physical to do orders, I have to click the button 97 times, like literally 97 clicks on orders in order to put in to put in the orders that are necessary for the patient. And so you think about how often someone's clicking and you do five or six of those a day and you're, you're spending a huge percentage of your time um, in front of a computer. And so I think that that can really drive someone who is a perfectionist um, very, very much down the pathway of burnout. Um, I also think that perfectionism lends itself somewhat to someone who's not willing to really ask for help. And I think that that's, that's another thing. I use the term, um, the lone ranger mentality that's been referenced a couple of times, but a lot of physicians, because they're perfectionists, because they have this highly driven, you know, persona, they, they don't ask for help and they feel like I can take it all. I can do it all. And that's, you know, I I referenced it earlier, but like, it's they're stigmatized by either other people in the medical community or they're stigmatized by the general community at large. They, if you can't handle this, then you're not good enough to be a doctor. I mean, a lot of doctors talk about, oh, well, when I was in residency, it was this, this, and this. And it's, it's almost like this badge of honor for having gone through something that in many respects is like could have induced post-traumatic stress, you know, but, but we need to get over that aspect of it and, and to allow people to say, you can still be a perfectionist and you can still be highly driven to improve, but everybody is vulnerable to this. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's really powerful because I, I mentioned the Lorna Breen Foundation earlier and they're a really great foundation. I have no affiliation with them, but they're, they're a phenomenal foundation and they're really working at trying to push legislation through um, in order to help physicians um, to not have that same stigmatization um, that, that, that they get when dealing with these issues of, of burnout or perfectionism, or I can't handle, or I can't deal with this. So, because more than 400 physicians die every year from suicide. 
I didn't know in the U.S. Was, alone. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know I mean, that's bigger. Yeah, I mean, that's more than one per day. And I think that that's that's a huge factor that we need to take into consideration that 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 our physician staff is hurting and we need to really dramatically help them that they have a two time greater rate of suicide than the general population, which is just, you know, kind of shocking. I mean, you're twice as likely your biggest risk factor for suicide is being a physician in many respects. So, yeah. Very I scary. Wonder, yeah. I wonder about the stats for surgeons, because what if they, what if they accidentally did something they regretted and Oh, certainly. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think a lot of these things weigh very, very heavily on, on us because we, we go into the field to want to try and help people. And when, when something does happen in medicine, and unfortunately it does, right? Whether it's completely unrelated to the, the care delivery of the physician, right? But that it's just the patient's horribly ill. And I think that's where a lot of people deal with COVID, right? Because someone comes in and they're already on 100% BiPAP. I know that I have a very, very poor chance of helping that patient to, to fully recover. You know, we can put them on, you know, the Decadron and we can put them on, you know, the convalescent plasma and we can give them remdesivir and we can consider tocilizumab and we can try all these different things. And in my facility, we even have ECMO and we can try ECMO, but the percentage of patients that come off of these types of things are, are so exceedingly low, even though they get the highest quality care that we can provide. And that, that does that, that loss of the patient can really have a major impact on the physician's psyche. So. Yeah. And it's also about uh, the person's perspective, like in the, uh, like, especially when the family loses somebody in the family, and um, that sort of anger that comes out when they couldn't do anything and when the doctor couldn't do anything. And um, a lot of the time I've seen that if the doctor has been treated like a god before um, the surgery and then if it doesn't turn out well, it's like all the anger has been like shifted towards the doctor itself. And as a result, that, you know, that exertion or that force of emotions can cause them to be cynical or have a burnout in their career as well. Oh, beautifully said, Roshni. I, I completely agree with that. And, and I think that, and I think that, that goes with the, the waves and the flow of, of burnout because people can be burned out at different times in their career and not be burned out at other times in their career. And, and big events like that happen, or, or if a physician is served with a lawsuit, you yeah. know, like they didn't even realize that something, you know, negative had happened or whatever the case may be. And then they're served with the lawsuit. And so I think that these are the, the types of things you're absolutely right. Um, because all physicians, and I really truly believe this, all physicians have a desire to try and help people to try and relieve suffering of some, of some sort. And um, that's why they came to the field in the first place. <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right. So, so I think that they all want to do that and it, it, anything takes a big toll on them. So. And every dish, every decision they make comes with a consequence. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. not all straightforward. Like every, oh, every without day, question, yeah, expects it to be. It's not easy as life is. Oh, it is. No, I think that's so beautifully said because I always tell patients that every day my job is literally to weigh risk 
and benefit, risk and benefit, because even medicines that we prescribe for high blood pressure can have negative consequences if not prescribed in the right situation, right? Like if I give someone lisinopril and, or I give them a diuretic and then they end up going into renal failure because they didn't drink a lot because they got nausea and vomiting, there's a risk associated with that. And I, I think so often patients don't understand that there, there are risks associated with every decision that we make. So yeah, you're absolutely so complex. Right. I mean, uh, especially uh, if you don't know a person's history of like disease or family disease, you, you may be, and you give them a drug that has a potential of worsening the disease they already have, or it's, it's all that is going to be developed in the future. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, there's, there's always the risk associated with giving anybody anything, you know, even vitamins, you have to be cautious about, you know, interactions, if they're Coumadin, whatever the case may be. So it's, it is. And with polypharmacy, we don't even know half the time. I think in many respects, I have patients that are on 30 different drugs. I mean, how are, no one's ever been able to study all those 30 drugs in, you know, and how they're interacting and playing in the other ones. And so I completely agree with you. It can all lead yeah. back to difficulty. Yeah, it also that. depends on their situation as well. And we don't know exactly what their situation is. Uh, is. And if they don't tell it to us, that's also a problem. Because there is, they, I, I also uh, was an intern. So like the patient's uh, response always varies and which kind of irritated me at the same time because... <laughs> <laughs> Because the thing is that in the doctor's perspective at the time, I was wondering, how am I going to treat this person if this story changes every time? <laughs> oh, sure. I think I think every doctor has those stories of when they were an intern and they would go and talk to the patient and then they'd come back on rounds with the attending and then the attending story they're able to get something else different from the patient. And you're like, I promise I asked the questions. They didn't say it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So what point or stage or symptoms a person exerts when they're facing a burnout? You know, so um, like I said, I said before, but I really think it's worth mentioning again that, that I feel that burnout is, is a continuum. Um, and I really feel that some providers may have less burnout than, than other burnout. Um, some may just be simply frustrated, but not quite to the, the stage of cynicism. Um, and then there's others that are going to really feel that they can't do anything or they're having forgetfulness or they're having just such little drive to get out of bed in the morning that they're not providing the same quality of care to their patients. So, so I think that there's, there's just a, a wide ranging symptomatology associated with burnout. Um, and it can be treated throughout that, that spectrum, you know, certainly someone who's early in their stages of burnout is going to be, you know, I think it's going to be easier to try and help them because they're, it's not so deeply set in. They're not far enough down on that spectrum that it's going to be harder to pull them back from that. But, but everybody can, um, and I think that it's really important that we, we try and help and provide the, the care for those people. Can you get fired from your job if you have a burnout? Explain in terms of uh, the experience as a doctor. If you had a burnout, would you be fired from your job? Sure. Yeah. So are you, you're not going to get fired per se for being quote unquote burned out, right? What you're going to get fired for is probably not seeking out 
help for your burnout. You're going to get fired for your cynicism, for your lack of desire. You're going to be labeled, quote unquote, as a problem physician. And I think that that this is because I have seen these situations and I have seen um, and I've worked with clients that have had issues with with unemployment. And I think that it's it's a real struggle because some of these people are are phenomenal doctors. They're just they're they're physically and emotionally exhausted from from their level of burnout. And so when they are burned out, they're going to be more likely to snap at ancillary staff, right? They're going to be more likely to snap at nursing staff. They're going to get this negative reputation in the hospital or in their own clinic, et cetera, that, you know, they're a, a difficult provider. And so I think that that's the things that they're probably going to get. And it's going to only weigh in more, right? So they're yeah. already burned out. And then now their boss or their medical director or their CMO or whomever is going to be calling them into the office. And no one wants to get called into the office. It's like being in junior, you know, elementary school again, being called into the principal's office. And it's like, well, you know, Dr. Haas, I heard that you snapped at the nurse up on the fourth floor the other day over, you know, her asking you for a Tylenol order. You know, and something that simple shouldn't have, you know, elicited that type of response. But because the, the physician is, is suffering from burnout, that response is going to be significantly more amplified. They're not going to be able to, to turn that off and, and to, to temper it the way that they should. And so if they're not getting the, if those symptoms are being identified, that's, they're saying, when that CMO brings you in and the CMO is saying, you know, hey, Brian, I, you know, I, I noticed that you snapped at this, this nurse and that seems really out of character for you. And I really wanted to talk to you about what's going on in your life and how are you feeling, right? How are you feeling? Nobody asks, how are you feeling? Yeah. It's, it's like, why'd you snap at that nurse? Or, you know, you can't snap at these people. You have to do better, you know? And that goes back to that perfectionism aspect of it. And it's like, I, I'm getting called 27 times, or maybe that physician had literally just walked out of another patient's room where he had to give an end of life conversation to a family member. And he or she is emotionally not in a place to be able to appropriately answer, but we're always just being bombarded with more and more things that we, we snapped because it was not because we wanted to snap per se, but we snapped because of all of the other things that were going on. And I think that that's where we need to have providers get the help that they need to be able to understand that. And we can treat this, right? So we get to the underlying problem and we find out from the the patient or the, the, the physician that they are struggling with burnout. And one of the things is, is um, dealing with emotional loss, right? So we tell that physician, okay, if you do have to deal with this, what you're going to do is after that, you're going to go and seek help. You're going to go and get, you're going to call you know, I, I like to use a buddy system um, where you can have a buddy that you can talk with um, and vice versa, right? So that we can have a shared emotional experience. We can offload that what we're feeling. Um, or if you're struggling because you're feeling like overburdened, I always tell people, go take a walk for five minutes outside. You're good. Just walk around the hospital or walk around the outside of the clinic. Give yourself that breathing space to be able to acknowledge 
how you're feeling, your self-awareness. And that's a self-management strategy that people are already doing in terms of walking or communicating with other people. So, so in terms of <clears throat> getting fired from your job for burnout, no, you're not going to get fired from having burnout, but you're going to get fired if you don't treat the burnout because you're going to be unfortunately labeled as, as a problem physician, or you're going to have poor work performance. And so those are the things that they're going to fire you over. Uh, also, does it happen? You can be fired when you have like uh, relationships, especially um, uh, if it, if it was like uh, LGBTQ relationships in the hospital, because I read somewhere that can be a thing. So I've never seen anyone get fired for having any sort of um, uh, interpersonal relationship with, Thank um, with a, yeah, same yeah. sex or something yeah. of that nature. Um, you know, I, but but unfortunately, I mean, that particular area of our population does deal with a, a high level of persecution. So, I mean, I certainly would hope that no one's getting fired over those types of things, but, um, you know. Because, yeah, um, these are the kind of aspects like stress, anxiety will be building up. I, I think even burnout is possible, especially for these types of situations, because society doesn't yet accept um, some things that, that should have been taught from an early age, actually. It should have been, it's, it should have been something, it's always what you want at the end of the day. And yeah. your personal choices should affect your like career choices. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree 110%. I mean, no one should ever be be fired or discriminated against because of their sexual orientation or preferences. I mean, that's, um, uh, I mean, I think that if someone was, they'd probably have a pretty decent legal case in that regard. So <laughs> not a lawyer, but I would okay. think that would be the case. Yeah. What normally drain, drains you working as a doctor? You know, that's a great question. And I think that it's, it's going to be different for um, each and every individual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me personally, I think it's, it's um, inefficiencies that I see in the healthcare system um, or when um, the, the lack of ease of being able to order something like um, computers are great. I love computers. I'm very technology forward. Um, I like to round with an Apple iPad. That's my favorite um, mode of, of order entry. Um, but when I find um, inefficiencies um, in terms of ordering, that's always a, a point of contention for me or in dealing with um, insurance companies, I find that that's, that's a, always a pain point for me. Um, when I, when I, being a hospitalist, one of my biggest barriers is getting people out of the hospital and going to a nursing facility. Well, it's hard sometimes to get someone out of the hospital to a nursing facility because the insurance company has all of the power. And it's, it's always frustrating when I see a patient who like can barely stand is difficult at the bedside is a two person assist. And the insurance company is like, Oh yeah, no, I think they can be fine with home with home health. And then you have to call and you have to talk to the medical director. And then when you're talking to the medical director, the medical director is like, Oh, well, I didn't really appreciate how severe that was from the notes. Okay, doctor, I'll be happy to, um, to, to approve that. And so it's like, well, why did I have to, to call in order to do it? So those are some of the things that, 
you know, affect me, but for other people, that might be something that doesn't bother them at all. And I think that that's what's so specific to burnout in in general is that it's going to be varied among every individual. And that's why it's hard to recognize or treat because it's not just one thing. A hospital can't, can't just come in and say, okay, we're going to improve this aspect of, of the hospital. And now nobody's going to have burnout anymore. And, And that's, that's not how it works. Yeah, uh, even inefficiency just does affect me as well. I really don't like it uh, when people say that they'll do stuff according to a certain specific time and on a certain specific day, and they tell it they tell it to you, but they don't keep the word. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Then um, then I get a bit mad, um, especially kind of working with them because I expect you to keep your word that's what I do with other people like when I say I'm going to get this done I make sure it's done for that day and I try to keep my word yeah yes unless there's like some sort of uh, accidental thing that just happened an unexplainable thing (laughs) yeah well sure Uh, and I think that that's the that's that's that goes back to the perfectionism aspect of it as well too right so like these are the things that I think should happen right a, B, C, D. I've said this is what needs to happen. I, I'm trained in this. This is what I need to do. And then when they don't happen, it can be very frustrating for us. And so when you're constantly, in many respects, trapped into a cycle where that's all you're doing and all you're seeing, it can become very, that's how people can become cynical from it. So it, it can just affect all of us in so many different ways. Yeah. The thing is that, like, if I continuously have that sort of person in my life, I'll just fire them and just. <laughs> sure no well you know because that that's that's putting up a a barrier for yourself you know i shouldn't say barrier an appropriate boundary for yourself saying i know that this emotionally affects me in a negative way and so i'm going to create a boundary to help protect my own personal emotional state so that i don't have those negative feelings yeah so how can burnout affect your memory explain the science behind it all right. So there were, there's been a couple of studies in regards to uh, burnout and memory. So some of these were done in the early 2000s, but um, one specifically related to medicine that I think is interesting was published um, in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings in July of 2018. And what they did was they did a, um, it was a survey study and they were pooling um, physicians and um, correlating their level of burnout and whether or not they had an increase in reportable medical errors, like someone would say, I, I accidentally, you know, ordered more potassium than I thought I should order, or I, you know, those types of things. And so what they found that, um, that the physicians that are suffering from burnout have decreased executive function. So they're, they're not thinking quite as clearly. They're not thinking, they're not firing on all cylinders, so to speak, as a result of their workplace exhaustion. And they reported more medical errors by more than double. So twice as many medical errors as someone who is not burned out. So I think that that's really powerful information um, in regards to, to what it's doing to our brains and, and how we need to do this for, public safety is we need to have an improvements in awareness in regards to, um, to burnout so that people can, can seek out the treatment so that we can help improve it. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's also important to, for everybody, because the thing is that like, 
your if you don't know what state what stage you are or whether you're entering a burnout or fatigue which can be misled at the same time you don't know what exactly you're still unaware of what exactly it's doing to you and how you are performing in your career and even your personal life as well you are so right, Rusty. And I think that's that's so powerful because so many people, there's been so many people that I have coached that don't realize that they are burned out. Yeah. And um, like they were referred to me either from like their health system or something of that nature. And and so I think that it's so powerful when I'm not burned out and they're just, you know, it's it's all these other silly things that need to be changed. And it's like, wait, hold on a second here. Let's talk about those silly things and what that's doing to you and how that's changing your personality and your interactions. And then all of a sudden the light will start to go on and they're like, oh my goodness, yes. That, and they start to get it. So I think you're so right that a lot of people don't understand or don't even realize that they are burned out. Yeah. The thing is that they think that it's normal. It's a normal mm-hmm. thing and everybody actually faces it. They don't think uh, they don't think that this is like a critical condition that you should be addressing. And also it can actually lead to a lot of diseases like in the future as well. Without question. Yeah. Without question on that. Absolutely. Um, and what is mass large burnout inventory? Can you please explain it? Yeah, sure. So what like we talked about at the very beginning, so Christina Maslach is a professor at UC Berkeley, and um, she has been studying occupational burnout issues since, oh my goodness gracious, like the mid-80s, I want to say, something in that neighborhood. Um, but she's created these um, inventories, um, which is, um, and you can get them off of her website, um, which is... I think it's called Mind Think, um, uh, Mind Garden, MindGarden.com. You can go ahead and get some of these to take a test to determine, you know, where you're at in it. And and so it's it helps you to um, to understand by asking you different questions and how you respond to those questions. It will help to identify in those three specific skills that we talked about earlier. Um, Emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and your personal accomplishment are three of the areas that the health-specific one will will focus on as well, too. Um, And so that can really um, help to identify if you are actually burned out. Um, And if you are, where in that are you more likely burned out? Like maybe you still have a, a feeling of a great sense of personal accomplishment, right? Like, well, I I went to medical school. I graduated. I did well in residency. I'm the chair of my department, but maybe I am not feeling, you know, I'm feeling exhausted and I'm feeling depersonalized, but I still have a a high sense of personal accomplishment. Well, you still might be significantly burned out, even though you have a high sense of personal accomplishment. So. So what would be the best questions to ask yourself when you are facing a burnout? All right. So this is one of my favorite things to do when I deal with clients is um, I call it a, it's a, it's a root cause analysis essentially. And so my favorite way to do this is to go through the five whys. So, so the way that I think about this is that I ask someone, um, you know, uh, doctor, you seem to be short tempered as of late. Why do you think that is? And then they'll, they may respond. I, I feel chronically exhausted in my, my work. So then I will take that response from my first why, 
right? So they identified it. I feel chronically exhausted. And then I say, okay, so now why do you feel exhausted? And so now I've taken that and turned the answer into another question. So that's my second why. And then the, the doctor may sit there and think, and it's like, well, because of there's so many, so many bureaucratic tasks, I'm so sick of all of the physician computer order entry, and I'm really struggling with that. So then my third why will be, I'm going to turn that answer of bureaucratic tasks into another, why are there so many bureaucratic tasks? And the, the doctor dealing with cynicism already might say, because administrators that aren't doctors are telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, at this point, the, 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 the physician that I'm coaching is starting to get a little bit frustrated because I keep asking all of these whys, right? And so now I'm going into the fourth, the fourth why, and I'm saying, why are all the administrators dictating what to do? And then they come down, well, because they haven't asked the physician what to do. And I'm like, why haven't they asked? Well, because they think they have all the answers. <laughs> so we just went through five questions and we started with i feel chronically exhausted and we drilled down to say that it's bureaucratic tasks bureaucratic tests that are being put on them by administrators and the perception from this particular physician is that the administrators weren't asking the physician what to do so what's really powerful about this is that now we can take a step back and we're like okay doc now you've been able to identify that you're feeling frustrated because of bureaucratic tasks that are brought on by administration. Can you think of some ways that this might be able to be, be improved? Well, of course I can. I can think of 27 different ways right now. I'm like, awesome, let's write those down. You know, And then when we start writing them down, we can then start to take them to the administrators, right? And when we, when we practice this with, with clients, we can say, all right, because you don't wanna come in to an administrator and be like, hey, this is dumb, <laughs> right? Like that's not the right way to, to, to get the change that you're wanting to, to pursue. But if you can come in and say, you know, Mr. or Mrs. CEO, CEO, I'd really like to talk to you because as a physician that's practicing every day, I've noticed a few inefficiencies that I'd like to really discuss with you because I think that they would be very powerful and impactful for the entirety of our medical staff and really powerful for the patients. That statement is going to come across so much better than, hey, some of these are really dumb and I think they need to be changed, right? That's not going to get you the same outlook. But if you have someone that's burned out, they might be more inclined to be like, this is dumb. You know, you, so they, they need some help and they need some coaching through that. So I love to go through and use the five whys to help get to a root cause analysis to really get down to it. It also gives us some actionable solutions because this is part of the treatment of burnout, right? Yeah. So now I have a physician who's now identified the problems. They've identified some solutions and now they're going to go with coaching help right? And it's going to all be their own words and they're, they're coming up with the solution, but I'm going to help them to frame it in a way in which they're more likely to get a positive outcome from it. And, and I've yet to find a CEO or a CMO or somebody who's not willing to listen to a physician who is now coming at you, not from a cynical aspect, but from an engaged aspect and saying, hey, I want to try and change something. I want to try and fix something. And I think that it's also important too that we try and edit 
people because like I used the example of this physician said, well, they can think of 27 different ways to fix it. Well, let's not address 27 different ways to fix it. Let's pick the top two that you think of and let's go talk to them because we're not going to get them to, to say, oh yeah, absolutely. We're going to check all 27 of these. But if we can help them to craft an email or a letter or a statement or a phrase so that when they go in and talk to these, these executives, that they're able to, to deliver their opinion in a clearly thought out, concise, non-emotional state, which is really hard to do for someone who's, who's feeling burnout, right? But then hopefully, because they're producing or presenting it in a very positive light, the CEO, the administrators, the CMO, whomever it is, is going to take that, hopefully, if they're, I feel if they're a good leader, they're going to take that and be like, this is really powerful. Thank you so much for coming to me. Let's try and address this. I have to meet with X, Y, and Z other people, but I'd like you to come to that. I'd like you to be a part of this discussion. And, and that's how we're really going to create the positive change for the physician, the positive change for the health system overall. And I think that it's going to be something that's great. So, and, and they're going to feel heard. They're going to feel listened to. They're going to feel emotionally powerful about that. And it should, in many respects, improve their level of burnout. Yeah, especially the way you asked the questions were like really interesting because you really dig deep into what's really going on with the uh, with your patients. So I mean, like the uh, the actual answers. What I've noticed when I'm like speaking to my clients as well is that um, what they say, the first thing they say is not the actual not the actual reason. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It's like you have to you have to ask them and like you have to dig deeper and deeper and then ask them to and it normally leads to their childhood. Mm -hmm. That's what I figured out. It leads all the way to their childhood. It's not something that just came out from okay, just came out when they were just just started working like in the twenties. It's an issue. It's a problem that developed within their childhood and then developed um, all the way to their twenties, thirties, forties. Oh, absolutely! I think you're so right. I, I love doing this exercise with my daughter as well, too. And you just see almost like for the first two questions, her head's about to explode, yes. and then eventually she starts to get it, and she's like, "Oh." Now I know why I'm upset. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah, great. Yes. Even like I, even when I was a kid, like I didn't know exactly why I was upset. I was just upset. Yeah. <laughs> and it was sort of, for me, it was like a very vague uh, reason. But then when I actually dig deeper and deeper and deeper, it wasn't, it's such, it wasn't such a vague reason after all. <laughs> Exactly. And I think that's what's so powerful about the five whys is that you can really drill down into getting some, some deeper understanding of, of, of what's really causing the, the, the ultimate frustration. And the example that I used was just a very generic example that I have heard countless times before in talking to physicians. It's like the administration just doesn't hear us. Well, that's awesome. Let's craft a plan so that they can hear you better. So, yeah. And uh, um, I find that like, this is a problem everybody has in society. It's like they get to know the person in a very, on the surface. Mm -hmm. They just don't go deep and deep and deeper. 
Oh, absolutely. We need to dig deeper. And that's what, that's one of the things I find so powerful about coaching is that coaching allows us to, um, to really dig deep into to something and have a very um, deep interpersonal connection with someone that is of a professional capacity, you know, um, because some of the things that they want, you don't want to tell other people that, right. Because it's like, I want to tell that I'm struggling with something. It's much easier to tell someone that's a coach that maybe I'm just seeing across the zoom meeting or something of that nature. And, uh, uh, let's go to the next question. Um, do we have, uh, an artificial cure for, uh, burnout? So, yeah, so no, there's not really like a medication or anything that you can do for burnout. But like I was alluding to, if in, in the last question, if we can drill down to figuring out what the root cause of the burnout is, then what we can do is we can try and affect respect. So in the example that I used, he, this particular physician did not feel that administration was hearing him and he felt like um, he was struggling on an ongoing basis. And so if we can help that physician to craft, then they're going to be able to get better. Okay, so Dr. Haas, um, burnout can be misled as fatigue. Why do you think so? So fatigue, Roshni, is a really interesting um, aspect because I think that it it certainly can be a precursor or one of the first signs and symptoms that people identify when they are suffering from burnout. I think that um, fatigue is the physical manifestation of the overwhelming emotional burden that the physician is subsequently carrying. There's not really a artificial cure for burnout. Um, burnout isn't something that can be cured simply by taking a medicine. Um, but as we discussed in the five whys, burnout can be addressed by having a individual get to the underlying process of what's causing the burnout in the first place. So in our example, the physician was burned out because he wasn't feeling like he was listened to. So the way that we would address burnout in that situation is to find what it is that we can change or improve in that situation and help that physician to identify that process and seek that out. And one of the things that we can do to help the physicians um, that are suffering with this is to help them in a very positive way to address their issues and concerns. So a lot of the times when physicians are burned out, they're struggling because they can't communicate in a way in which they're going to be heard in a positive manner, right? They're very cynical, they're frustrated, they're exhausted. So we help them identify their underlying problem. We help them to craft a message in a very positive manner. And then that's one of the ways that we can help them on the road to recovery and to curing their burnout. I also think working with a coach is a, another way of really being able to demonstrate um, the positive aspects of, of coaching in the setting of burnout because that coach helps the person who may or may not fully understand the reason why they're burned out in the first place to get to that process, period. They can also help the physician to understand whether or not they're actually dealing with underlying issues associated with depression, PTSD, or anxiety. Um, because again, those need to be treated in a different manner by a different type of professional.
so um next question burnout can make you susceptible to other illnesses like flu or colds please explain the science behind it so roshni absolutely emotional stress and turmoil can absolutely make someone more susceptible to colds um, or other illnesses when someone's dealing with burnout they have a great deal of fatigue and this makes it difficult to have the desire to work out or to cook nutritious meals for instance they're more likely to have a poor diet, they eat more fast food, and these are all known risk factors for uh, chronic illnesses. Um, and emotional stress, I feel, often plays a very significant impact on the immune system as well. There's um, significant complex interactions, but stress generally affects the central nervous system, which then controls um, or upregulates or downregulates hormones, cytokines, different neuropeptides and neurotransmitters, which all then individually have roles within the immune system and other organ systems. And so if we're not appropriately having good control in regards to and regulating those um, those hormones and cytokines and neuropeptides, then we're going to have difficulty in regards to maintaining appropriate health. How common is burnout in the world, statistically speaking? I heard it's over, the rate is like over 52% uh, around the whole world that uh, workers during some point of their time living on earth, they faced burnout. Please explain that, uh, Dr. Brian House. Burnout is um, actually extremely common. Um, as we talked about before, prior to COVID, um, at least 50% of physicians had felt that they were burned out at some point in time. Um, with the advent of COVID and this national pandemic, unfortunately, there's been a number of studies that have shown an increase um, percentage of people. The Learner Breen Foundation uh, um, approximates it at about 62%. Um, nationwide that physicians are burned out, but there were studies that um, initially early on in the pandemic that came out of Wuhan, China, that showed that 91% of nursing staff had fear of death about going to work, which is just absolutely um, astonishing. Um, here in the United States, 25% um, of physicians have considered retiring early. Uh, another 12% of physicians have desired to change away from medicine. 64% of physicians feel that COVID has made burnout substantially worse. So burnout is unfortunately extremely prevalent in not only the United States, but worldwide. And it's not a problem that is going to just go away overnight. It's something that we have to diligently um, address, um, make people aware of, um, uh, help these patients uh, or these providers that are perfectionists, that are dealing with uh, huge amounts of stress to understand that they are not alone and that they have the ability to to seek out help and that they're not going to be ridiculed or judged for seeking that same help. Which gender is generally more affected by burnout? Why do you think so? First of all, before you start, like I would like to tell you that uh, males in the world are facing burnout because... Um, they have too much of responsibility to carry as a man. Um, they have to care for the family. They have to feed the family. They have to find the money for the family. And um, this whole idea of culture that the man should provide for the family and the, uh, women have to um, be the housewives, um, this kind of idea has caused, um, I think that is the causation of this 
burnout issue. Please tell me your experience. So there unfortunately hasn't been a great deal of study specifically looking at gender specifics. Um, certainly burnout can affect both sexes. In my personal experience, the manifestation of that burnout um, does differ slightly based upon gender. Um, when I'm dealing with clients that are men, they seem to have a little bit more cynicism, more vocal about their dissatisfaction, whereas a lot of women will exhibit more exhaustion and they won't be quite as vocal about their cynicism. I still see women being quite cynical about the workplace and their dissatisfaction with the job as an overall whole, but I, I find that they are, are a little bit less vocal about that cynicism. Um, I definitely feel that there needs to be more study on this, uh, as in the past decade, more than 50% of medical students are now women. Burnout study and awareness is increasing, but again, we need to continue to push to help our fellow physicians that are struggling. Um, the number of people that seek out help for the burnout is um, woefully low. Um, many continue to suffer in silence, or worse, they're leaving the professional together. And I certainly hope that increasing the awareness of people will start to seek out help as there are a number of resources available, whether that's seeking out a coach like myself or looking to your employer for resources because more and more companies are really trying to um, develop wellness programs for their clinicians as well as their nursing staff. But it's definitely something that we have to address. Um, this is a greatest healthcare crisis that is affecting um, the world uh, right now because we need these intelligent, highly motivated providers providing care to people. And if they're burned out, they're not going to be able to provide that care. Roshni, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. I really have enjoyed the opportunity um, to be here, to get to share about something that I'm uh, truly passionate about. And I, I really want the healthcare community as a whole to understand that there is help, that there are resources, and that certainly um, they can get the help that they need. Um, certainly, I hope that they can uh, feel free to reach out to me. Um, through my website at haashealth.org. Um, there's multiple ways to be able to contact me on that. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn at uh, Brian Haas, uh, D-O-F-A-C-P. So hopefully um, people will continue to reach out and get the resources, whether it's for me or through other people. So greatly appreciate this opportunity. And um, I'm so happy that you were able to bring me on and have me as a, as a guest to the show. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Brian Haas. It has been a wonderful opportunity having you here. There are some things I'd like to add to my audience. Some of you know by now that my knowledge in the medical field is equivalent to half of an MD. And uh, I'm a life coach that actually specializes in mental health issues like depression and anxiety. The parts of the brain that are affected by depression and anxiety are the amygdala, hippocampus, dorsomedial thalamus. People don't actually know they are depressed or have anxiety until it reaches a certain stage. The hippocampus plays a part in learning and processing information from the short-term memory to the long-term memory. The thalamus plays an important part in learning, episodic memory, sleep and wakefulness. So episodic memory is the ability to learn from personal experiences that occur in your daily life, whether positive or negative. The function of the amygdala 
includes emotional behavior regulation, motivation, long-term memory, processes fearful or threatening stimuli, and many more. So when you have depression and anxiety, you show, you show poor memory of positive events, potentiated memory uh, for negative events, potentiated memories like signal transmission between two neurons for the long-term memory, impaired recollection, and also destabilized amygdala. The efficiency of the hippocampus reduces as well as the thalamus. So what you should do in these cases is you should stabilize the amygdala to do that. You can also uh, get my book. It's called Unveiling the Truth Behind Catherine's Destiny where I give tiny um, kind of sections of facts. So to stabilize the amygdala, is, you have to do something like meditation. And um, to get yourself better is to recollect positive, um, recollect lessons you've learned from positive memory, from your positive memory or positive events. That's what I do. I try to get my clients to what uh, to reflect on their positive memories. And that is a holistic way of approaching and trying to test them and trying to figure out what will make them happy. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening to this episode. It was a really wonderful episode like I got to do with uh, Dr. Haas. Um, burnout is like significantly different and should be like... Uh, treated in a different manner compared to depression and anxiety but um, a lot of people are being affected by mental health as you, you see um, almost 98% uh, of the world's population has been affected by mental health in a way and uh, that's why we're trying to uh, actually help people get out of it. So anyways, uh, thank you guys for uh, listening to the show. Please make sure you subscribe. We are on almost every platform. And you can get my book from Amazon or Barnes & Nobles. And uh, recommend our podcast to your friends, uh, family, um, or your, uh, your crew in the workplace. It doesn't matter. Everybody is actually learning like this because you get to know things you never actually get to know. And this is an easier way for everybody to know everything, what all all the problems that we are facing during the pandemic. So I recommend that. And I'm your host, Rashri Hepawasam, and I am signing out. See you next week.